There's crispy, and then there's crispy, er. Try our new and improved Tyson crispy chicken strips. Crispy just got crispy, er. Welcome to HBCU Four Sixty Eight, brought to you by ESPN's The Undefeated. This weekly podcast looks at life inside and outside of sports from the unique perspective of the Roden Fellows, handpicked students from six historically black colleges and universities. They're young, they're smart, and they are living one of the most unique experiences in American higher education. I'm Bill Roden. Hello, everybody, and uh, welcome to another version of HBCU 468. Later, uh, we'll be joined by Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse, and uh, by Mania uh, Shabazz from Grambling and, and, and the uh, Grambling Athletic Director, uh, Paul Bryant. Not Paul Bear Bryant, <laughs> but Paul Bryant. Uh, Grambling's coming off a great victory over uh, Northwestern State University. But before we do that, uh, we're going to have on the line, I've got, I've got a, 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 a great friend and a really special guest, I think maybe the, the most, uh, one of the most revered uh, Grambling alumni in the history of the school. You know, he's on the, route, the Mount Rushmore of, of, of Grambling alums. I'm talking uh, none, none other than the great James Shaq Harris, quarterback extraordinaire, front office exec extraordinaire, and uh, golfer extraordinaire. So he said, hey, hey Shaq, uh, welcome to the show, man. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for those kind words. Yeah. Well, I, I never played golf with you, but... That's that's what that's what people tell. Well, that's what you tell me. Uh, I like golf better than golf like me. Ball <laughs> <laughs> is, is a little disobedient. Yeah, no, I hear you. Man. Hey, hey, Shaq, a uh, couple things, man. I want to get there's, there's so much I want to discuss with you. You know, you, you're from Monroe, Louisiana. You, you played for some great Grambling teams from uh, '65 to '68 under the legendary coach. Uh, Eddie Robinson, before I get into your career, man, uh, as, as a Buffalo Bill, as a Ram, um, as, a, as a front office exec, you made history, Shaq, when the, the Bills made you the very first black player to start the season at quarterback uh, in the modern history of pro football. And people talk about how you started uh, a playoff game for the Rams, but when, the, but when Buffalo uh, made you the starting quarterback to start the season, that was history, too. Uh, I just want to ask you about that, because uh, you were, what, 23, 24 maybe at the time? I think that in your era, there was you, there was Briscoe, who had, he was a wide receiver with you, but he had been a quarterback. Could you just take us through that time, Shaq? Particularly, there are people listening to this now, and they're looking at the kid, Brigitte, who's getting ready to start it, and, uh, down at uh, the Colts, uh, the kid at Clemson, uh, I had a great game for Houston, Texas. There's a kid down in Tampa. So, you know, a lot of people are looking at all these black quarterbacks playing, and for a lot of young people, they never knew it was a time when you went into the league that it was a huge deal. What was, what, could you just describe that time for us, Shaq, about what it was like uh, to get drafted, to go into the league, and all the stuff that you had to prove? Well, you know, growing up, having a dream of playing – you know, pro ball or pro sports, and every time you wake up, it becomes a nightmare because you realize 
there were no blacks playing quarterback in the NFL. And once I finished, Coach Eddie Robinson uh, came to my home to recruit me and said to me that by the time I finished, uh, the NFL would be ready for a black quarterback. So four years later, after getting the degree, I went to Grambling with a prayer and a promise. The promise was I was going to get a degree. And the prayer was an opportunity to play quarterback in the NFL. So four years later, I got that promise. But unfortunately, the prayer didn't look hopeful. I decided not to play pro football. But Coach Eddie Robinson, who is the best ever coach in my opinion, convinced me to change my mind. But he said some profound words to me, and that, that being that if I decided to go play pro football, uh, he knew I could play and I, I represented the opportunity for others. But if I didn't make it, don't come back and say the reason you didn't make it was because you was black. You knew before you leave, you got to be better. And those profound words, I think, meant as much to me as anything because it took all the excuses and um, knowing that I may have only one opportunity, but I had to be prepared. And with that, I took that to Buffalo, New York, had a good preseason, and was able to win the starting job and become the starting quarterback for the Buffalo Bills. People don't fully appreciate what a task it was for you because you were a great athlete, great basketball player, all that. That you, that was an era where if you were black and wanted to be a quarterback, you kind of had to hide your athleticism, right? I mean, remember you tell me you went to Wisconsin and, you know, you had to kind of dumb yourself down because you didn't want them to think you were an athlete. Well, t- tell me about that. Well, I, I, I was a fan of the game, so I, I read and I observed the game, and I knew that most of the black quarterbacks that came out and went into the Big Ten and places like that were switch positions. So in high school, I kind of customized my, my game. Well, I didn't run a whole lot. I stayed in the pocket. But I tried to make sure that we were successful with me being in the pocket and only running when I had to. And, you know, because of that, uh, when it came time to go into the NFL, uh, Coach Robinson allowed him to time me one time and then wouldn't allow him to run me anymore because he knew that he, they wanted me to switch position. The big thing about it was uh, after being saying no to colleges about switching and no to the NFL about switching, I ran the risk of, my opportunity to play pro football because I was not getting the experience of playing in other positions. So it was a gamble I took, and successfully, you know, I was able to play quarterback in the National Football League. Hi, this is um, Mania from Grambling. How was it being under the legendary Eddie Robinson? You know, I, I've been to the museum here on campus, and I really would just like to know what was life like at Grambling um, HBCU back in the day. <laughs> uh, first of all, it was an honor. It was a pleasure. He's the most unique coach or person that I've ever met in terms of, one, he's a great, great coach um, who really knew the game, coached every position. And he also was an outstanding citizen, American, who 
uh, did everything the, the right way, and, and, and most of all, he cared about his players. He cared about us getting a degree. In fact, when he came to recruit you, he promised your parents that you would get a degree and that you would go to school and you'd go to church. And he made sure that we did those things. So uh, you can't, you couldn't have a, a, a better leader, a better mentor. But as a freshman, when you came to Grambling, sometimes you didn't quite understand Coach because it seemed like he saw things out from different eyes. You know, we came in, we was a little concerned about America. America wasn't fair to us. And uh, he decided when we talked to him, he made no excuses. For example, when players get caught speeding and they go in and talk to Coach about the reason they stopped them was because they were black. Coach would say the reason they stopped you was because you were speeding. He never made any excuses, made sure his team made no excuses. Where it's fashionable for coaches today to talk about student-athletes and how concerned they are. Well, Coach was a guy that uh, during the nine-week period when the players had problems, he would make sure that they go to class. Uh, we graduated a lot of players. I can say I couldn't say enough about Coach Eddie Robinson. Yeah, man. You know, those, those guys, and, you know, I went to Morgan, and, you know, it was Coach Banks and Morgan. But guys like, I think a lot of kids who are now going to, you know, the, the big PWIs, as we call them, like the big white colleges, <clears throat> you know, guys like Robinson, Banks, Jake Gaither, you know, uh, Big John there at Tennessee State, these are really, these are legendary people. I guess we'll probably never see the likes of them again. And I think it's just how blessed I was to be around a guy like that. And, and as a professional, I got to be around uh, Coach Robinson just as a uh, as a journalist, man. And, and, you know, these guys turned out great people, but they're never going to be anybody like them again. Well, you know, one thing is that some of the players that I played with, hey, we had all kinds of personalities. We had some guys that were out of the line. But because you had the leadership and the respect, like a guy like Coach Robinson, who were able to kind of manage these unique personalities. It wasn't only Coach Robinson. It was, uh, I found out that all the coaches from the black colleges really cared about their players. They were strong disciplinarians. And they had their players to the point where not only were they playing to win, but they're representing their team, they're representing their community. And above all, uh, we realized by the time you got to be a junior that this was a whole way of life. You know, this was a difference. You wouldn't have to go back to the cotton field. You know, you wouldn't have to go back to more in the yard, the, the tough jobs that most of us came from. And this would give us an opportunity to be successful you know, and they instill that in, in, in us. Mm. You play with Buffalo and you play with Rams. I remember one story you told me was that, uh, you know, coming from Grambling, you hadn't really played around a lot of white players before. I don't think with any. Uh, what was that like? Uh, going from an HBCU, an all-black environment, where you were very comfortable, and then going into the Buffalo uh, the Bills at a time when, you know, the, you know, the league wasn't like 80% black. 
uh, and you had to really take control of the entire huddle in the locker room. What was that like? Well, that was one of the toughest challenges I had. You know, no, I'd never been to school with whites. I had very little conversation with whites. I've been on recruiting trips, but even those conversations were very limited. Uh, mm-hmm. So I'd never been around whites, and, and uh, one of the reasons the reasons that black wasn't playing quarterback that you know we weren't smart enough, supposedly, and our leadership we lacked the leadership. But those are the things that you had to prove. And the first day I get an opportunity to go in the huddle, being able to step in that huddle and call the play and uh, around people that I wasn't very comfortable with was a challenge. And, uh, you know, I had to adjust to that. I admired Marlon Briscoe because he came from a different environment than I did. He came from Nebraska where he went to school with whites. So mm-hmm. watching him and seeing him adjust to communicating with people, you know, I was, uh, you know, and I, I, I was quite interested in that, and I thought he, he did a good job of that. So that was, you know, that was one of the that was one of the challenges in order to be successful in the NFL. I can't say this about Grandma. Grandma prepared me to deal with almost any circumstances because of the relationships. Uh, that we had because of the things that we that that we went through, we 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 had some we, you know we shared everything, and a lot of the players who went to the NFL came back and shared things with us, and it kind of you know prepared prepared us for it. And I'm awful thankful for the four years that I spent at Grandma and playing for Coach and all the teammates that I had. Tell me about OJ. Tell me about young OJ Simpson. When you when you you were twenty two, uh, you were twenty two when you went to Buffalo. I think OJ was twenty two, twenty three. What was it like? Here you come from, you know, Grandma, Louisiana, unheralded, and here you're playing with the Juice, who was like, I guess, probably at that time, you know, uh, the, the most, to even today, maybe the most heralded college player in the history. What what, what was he like? What what do you think about before you met him? And what was your relationship like in the three years that you played with him? Well, you know, he was a Heisman Trophy winner, no one pick, and had a great following of fans and supporters, you know. <laughs> the biggest difference was when we first got there, he stayed in a suite at the Hilton across the street, and I stayed in the YMCB, YMCA <laughs> for six hours a night. That's where the difference started. <laughs> the other difference was, you know, when you practice. He knew he had a teammate, and each night and the next morning, I had to wait and see if I was going to get cut for 24 days. So that was the difference. But uh, once, you know, we got into the preseason, you know, he and I, uh, you know, we became friends and teammates. Played, uh, I was a bit with his partner, so uh, we got along well. Uh you surprised the way his life turned out? Yeah, I am surprised the way he, uh, his life, you know, turned out. It's unfortunate that, you know, that it happened. And I hope that, you know, when he gets out uh, this time that uh, life is, uh, he has a better life. Right. Hey, Shaq, before we let you go, just one last thing. And I started the show by talking about the wave of black court, James Winston down in Tampa Bay, Cam Newton. Uh, uh, you saw, um, you know, the kid from uh, – uh, Houston uh, Texans, Sean Watson. 
What do you think about all the, 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 the this new wave of black quarterbacks? But do you think that this is going to be the, the time where it really sticks, and that uh, and that we're gonna we're gonna really see a, a, a new wave of of quarterbacks? I think. Uh... I think you'll continue to see outstanding quarterbacks like uh, like it is today because you've got to have so many playing in college. And these guys today are, I think, the preparation that they're getting in college where at first black quarterbacks was mostly runners, uh, people running the wishbone or running offenses that featured athletic ability. But now more and more are beginning to play the quarterback position where they have to read coverages and throw the ball. And with that, I think you'll see more and more outstanding quarterbacks coming into the NFL. Uh, when Warren Moon and Randall Cunningham and Doug Williams was in the league, if you were good enough to start and you were a great player, you could play in the NFL. But there were not many guys in the backup position. And I think uh, we're beginning to see that change now where the player who's not a starter can still make an NFL team. Well, we're going to see. But I think if you started something, you and, and Doug and, uh, you know, Marlon really started something that we see uh, blossoming now. Uh, this is our, our guest has been uh, the great James Harris, uh, front office uh, exec, a quarterback extraordinaire, uh, Basketball player extraordinaire, and just generally a, a great guy. Recently honored by the Association of Black Journalists. Uh, hey, Shaq, again, man, thank you so much, man. And uh, we could have another hour, but you've got great stories and you just made such a great contribution. So thank you so much. Yeah, I want to thanks for being on and all those young quarterbacks out there who looking for a place to play. Consider your the HBCUs and black colleges and get yourself an opportunity to play quarterback. Well, thanks again, Shaq. Uh, coming up next, our guest will be Paul Bryant, the athletic director at Grambling, who's going to speak with us along with Maria Shabazz from Grambling and Isaiah Smalls from Morehouse. Thank you. We'll be right back. Our guest is uh, Paul Bryant, the athletic director of Grambling State University, and he's with Mania Shabazz. But why don't you start in with the questioning of, uh, of Paul Bryant? He's only been the AD there for a year, but you've accomplished a lot in the one year that you've been there. Uh, uh, Mania, why don't you start off? Okay, so I know last weekend um, we played Northwestern State, and this weekend we're set to play Jackson State, a big legendary game. Um, so far, what happened? You know, tell me some of the, the big things that happened in the game. Well, I tell you, being the defending national champions, exactly. Uh, <laughs> we came in. We, uh, this uh, we did have a letdown. Our first game, we played Tulane. We was just too hype again, just ready to play. But then uh, we got Northwestern at home. We had a. I think the guys were very excited to play at home because of the new renovations at the uh, Eddie G. Robinson Memorial Stadium. We have new filters and new video screen, and uh, I think they were just excited. And uh, and then they played like their true G-men that they are. And and as a result of that, we came out with a victory. Twenty-three to ten, actually. Yes, that was a, again a good win against a conference that uh, is uh, supposed to be higher than us. And, right. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And so us getting those type of wins are, are very critical for our success. And I think it sets the tone for the season on what we're going to do. It, it does. It <laughs> does. I just think uh, you know, uh, Jackson is, is, is a tough school now. and uh, uh, But we want to we wanna do what we did last year, go undefeated in the SWAC, and, and uh, it starts tomorrow. And this is going to be the first game in five years that we play Jackson on our actual home field. So it's going to be very exciting. I also wanted to ask you about, you know, Howard um, beat Las Vegas mm-hmm. and kind of just the whole atmosphere of HBCUs versus PWIs. Are those games worth it? Absolutely. You know, it's one of those things that it augments our budget. That's the first and foremost. Uh, it. Um, uh, they, they, it's almost, they pay us to play, to come out and play. And for HBCUs, we need those games because our budgets are not as, as vast as the uh, PWIs and we need assistance and, and playing these games. Uh, it, I don't know what it costs them to get out there, but I can guarantee they probably walked home with about $400,000 that, wow. that can assist their budget. Uh, hi, Mr. Bryan. This is Isaiah from Morehouse. Thank I just you. wanted to ask you, so do you think these big wins will attract more black players to HBCUs? <clears throat> I think what's, ha- what's happening is you're seeing an a influx of talent going to HBCUs, all the things that are going on in the country today. And, and, and I think people are beginning to look back at where can I get educated by people like myself? And they're coming back to HBCUs. Remember back in the day, we didn't have any opportunity to go to the PWIs, and now we're becoming as vital as ever than any schools in the country, I think. And uh, people are, you're seeing the elite athletes begin to go to HBCUs and, and Grambling State University being the national, again, defending national champs. We want to continue to uh, showcase what we could do, not only on the playing surfaces, but in the classrooms too. We have people that are sitting at the tables with the, with the graduates of, of Yale, Harvard, and, uh, and so I, I just think we can offer the same thing and you get that, that family-type uh, background that you need and, and, and a lot of us desire at HBCU. And another mm-hmm. thing I kind of want to point out is people often, you know, underestimate HBCUs. Last year we got a whole hashtag called Why Not Grambling trending because of the amazing things that we did at the Arizona Wildcats field. Yeah, I, I think it's bad that, that people talk. Uh, ill about HBCUs when uh, I think we are the best and and we educate the best and uh, a lot of people are not going to want to play us because we are beginning to recruit the athletes that typically the PWIs have had and uh, now we're getting them and uh, uh, I don't I think a lot of schools are going to not want to play us because of that and and us playing Arizona as close as we did a a Pac-10 team uh, when I was out in uh, at the NCAA uh, meeting, I was sitting there with a couple of representatives from uh, Arizona, and they, they saw my shirt. They said, Grambling. They said, what are you trying to do, get us all fired? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just think that's going to be something that they're not going to just try to take us lightly anymore. Right. Hey, Paul, uh, see, are you with that HBCU uh, called University of Anchorage? Could you tell <laughs> <laughs> Where were you born, and how the hell did you get out to Anchorage, Alaska? <laughs> well, I was born in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, that that sport called basketball <laughs> took me. Uh, I, I grew up in a very impoverished area, and uh, that basketball took me to uh, Anchorage, Alaska, and I played for Alaska Pacific University. It had 
it's really honed me to do what I'm doing today here at Graveland State University. Kind of switching gears a little bit, I just wanted to get your opinion on some of the NFL rookies from HBCUs. I'm sure you heard uh, Tariq Cohen had a very impressive debut with the Bears, totaling over 113 yards from scrimmage with a touchdown. Your own Chad Williams is playing for the Cardinals. Do you think that this will kind of change people's perception of HBCU football? Absolutely. Um, A year ago, I was at uh, South Carolina State University. Uh, Javon Hargrave, who is the – He's number 79 for the Pittsburgh Steelers. He's the starting nose tackle for uh, Pittsburgh Steelers. And one of the things that the, uh, the Steelers rep said to, said to me personally, said that uh, he didn't really realize the impact that HBCU players can have on the NFL. And I, and I, I take that, and I said there are going to be more players. And, and there has been uh, plenty of uh, NFL reps here on campus looking at our current players. Like Tariq Cohen, I was in New York with, with him when he received the um, award for the Offensive Player of the Year uh, back in December. And, again, to see the impact that these young men are making in the NFL shows that we have that type of talent at HBCUs. And, and don't slide us because we can come in and take positions. Mm-hmm. What, what was your biggest adjustment? Uh, coming to an HBCU? Yeah. Actually – there's really no adjustment for me. It's uh, because I'm black, <laughs> and uh, although I went to right. a PWI, I, the, the bottom line is uh, this is still my culture. I know how to take a lot less and do a lot more, and so I think that has been my mantra from day one, and it will continue to be my mantra that to to do more with less uh, until we can be comparable to to the PWIs. I know that you have to run, but I just want to have time for one more question. So one of the biggest issues facing football and other sports programs at HBCUs are the lack of funding in the facilities. We've had upgrades at our baseball stadium, our softball stadium, soccer field. We have new tennis courts going in. And, and then, of course, the renovations at the football stadium. They're like $2 million. Right? Uh, 2.4 to be exact. 2.4 million. <laughs> and, and so we're, we're changing the way we do things. And, and we're, we're operating athletics. Truly is a business. And when you operate it as a business, then you can improve on facilities. And I will do whatever it takes to benefit my student-athletes. Our guest has been Paul Bryant. He's the athletic director, the new athletic director at Grambling State University, the defending champion. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I hear people say that these days, You can't separate sports from politics. Well, if you're black in America, they've never been separate. Jack Johnson fought the great white hope. Jesse Owens fought Hitler in Germany and Jim Crow at home. Jackie Robinson desegregated the national pastime. Wilma Rudolph refused to let her hometown throw a post-Olympic ceremony unless the parade was integrated. Muhammad Ali, John Carlos, Tommy Smith, They all stood for freedom. Today, some NFL and NBA players defiantly wear I Can't Breathe t-shirts. And now, Colin Kaepernick said he can no longer stand for the national anthem. Sports and politics have always been married, if you're black. Now a cadre of young black professionals are no longer tethered to the myth of objectivity. They embrace an ideology of black first. I'm black before I'm a journalist. I'm black before I'm a partner. I'm black before I'm a baller. As Jack Johnson said decades ago, I'm black 
they never let me forget it. I'm black, all right. I'll never let them forget it. Thanks for listening to HBCU 468, the Roden Fellows podcast. This show is produced by Aaron Matthewson. Tony Chow and Martin Onebu are in the control room. Special thanks to David Cummings. Get all of the HBCU 468 podcasts as well as All Day. What are those? And Morning Roast by subscribing to The Undefeated on the Listen tab of the ESPN app. Join us next week for another HBCU podcast. And don't forget to make The Undefeated your go-to site for a soulful look at sports and entertainment. Have a great week, everybody.